I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my thoughts on money. Welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I'm Trevor Cummings, your host of the podcast and your author of the Thoughts on Money blog. I'm here with my two good friends and colleagues, Mr. Sean Latimer. Hello. Mr. Andrew James. Hello, hello. That was a joke. It was a joke. James Andrews. I fixed Outlook, by the way. James Andrews fixed Outlook because, you know, Outlook says your name backwards, right? Like yeah. Latimer, comma, Sean. His says Andrew, comma, James. James. So people get confused and they call him Andrew a lot. I could see that happening. So it was a funny joke. That's what I started off with. <laughs> Gotta watch out for I laughed. Two yeah, first names. I appreciate names. it. <laughs> so today I wrote an article called Distracted by the What? I introed with a little story. Have you guys heard the story of the ham before? Yeah. Okay. It's, it's like, it's so funny. So I heard the first time I heard the story, the person told it Wrong. first first person. No, they told oh. it first person. So I thought it was unique to them. So then I said it again <laughs> to somebody else. Like, yeah, I've heard that. And I'm like, you know that person? Like, and no then way. I did a little googly search and I was like, mm, I got mm. fooled. Yeah. The, the person tried to make it their story. Yeah, exactly. So for our listeners, if you haven't heard it, uh, mom and daughter, Little girl, right? She's got a great-grandmother alive. She's yeah. a little girl. So little girl is in the kitchen with her mom. Her mom is cooking a ham. She cuts off both ends of the ham, puts in. Little girl, just like my little boys, ask a lot of questions, right? Mom, why do you cut the ends off the ham? Mom's stunned. Never had the question before. Doesn't know why she did it. Um, she kind of just mimics what she saw her mom do. But she goes for a logical answer. So she's like, it makes the ham more juicy. But ask your grandmother because I just always did what she did. Goes, ask grandmother. Grandmother doesn't know because she mimicked what her mom did. So she said, hey, for the real treasure hunt, go see great-grandmother. Goes to great-grandmother and says, hey, mom says you cut the ends off the ham because it makes it juicy. Great-grandmother laughs. She says, no, I cut the ends off the ham because I never had a pan big enough to fit the full size of the ham. (laughs) So as James is laughing, I laugh too because in life you see a lot of time where people are doing the what. They're doing something, but they don't know the reason why they're doing it. Sometimes, without knowing why, it could be silly. Sometimes it could be dangerous. And sometimes it can be detrimental. Yeah, I think there's like two categories I look at right away. And and one is on the investment side, where uh, if people aren't getting the results that they want, they feel like they need to take action. They need to do something. And then kind of like what you're referring to, on the planning side, they may hear an idea or, or hear someone talk about how great it is, and they start doing it. But then when someone asks, you know, like, why, why did you do this? Or how did it apply to you? They don't really have a good answer because they, they don't know the why. They, they just thought, oh, well, this person said it's smart, so I must do it. So I think sometimes people just get antsy, like they need to do something. Yeah, I put that in the article. I don't know if you picked up on that, this idea, what did I call it? Like sometimes busyness can be mistaken for productivity. Does yeah. that resonate with you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it, it makes sense because it can go the other way too, where sometimes people get almost uh, paralyzed to make the decision. And they're like, you know, I'm, I'm just going to be calm and kind of sit on this. And they don't realize that that's making a decision as well. So there's absolutely time where action should be taken, but it doesn't need to be all the time. It's funny. I, I also have a five-year-old, and so I get questions all the time about, Dad, why do we do this or why do I do that? And so I had a conversation with my five-year-old Gavin recently. So it's December. We do an advent calendar. So every day he gets a chocolate and his younger brother, a little toy. And then it's a verse about, you know, the Christmas story. It's very basic, very straightforward. One of the first verses talks about the angel going to Mary saying, you know, you're going to have a baby boy. His name's going to be Jesus kicking off the Christmas story. So reading this. And so I read the verse, they open the gifts and say, okay, so what is Jesus's mom's name? Gavin deadpan looks me in the eyes and says, Moses. 
<laughs> I'm like, okay, we're going to work on this. The next day we do another verse. And again, I go back. So what's, what's Jesus's mom's name again? Moses. I'm like, okay. And every day we're on what day six, day seven, it is continual to be Moses. And the funny thing is I'm trying to teach him, no, it's Mary. And Gavin's getting frustrated. He's like, dad, but why do I need to know this? Like why? And so I have to explain, well, it's good to know the story. Yeah. But why do I care? And so like, he was like, he was getting frustrated with, I have to do this thing. It's this outcome, but I don't understand why this is important. He was trying to uncover it, and he does that with so many things. Why, Dad, why are trucks made out of steel? Like, why does it have to be that way? So, someone at church probably told him, if you ever get asked a question, just say Moses or Jesus, and it's probably right. I'm, I guess he's like, yeah, Moses. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> some work to do. It's hard because I get stumped a lot of the time. Shepard will ask me questions. I'm like, I will have to get back to you. I don't know the answer to that because the why we forget and because we're used to taking shortcuts and we have to function in life and we can't slow down and always ask why, which is understandable. I remember a former boss always used to tell me, look for the why behind the what. Because when we were making a business decision, sometimes we'd get so captivated by what we were doing. He would say, hey, time out. Why are we doing this? And then, you know, three hardworking, intelligent people are like, that's a great question. <laughs> we're, we're arguing about what we're doing or how to execute or whatnot, but we forget why we're doing it. Well, it happens a lot, especially in business, because you will try to find these uh, these KPIs, key performance indicators, right? Where if, oh, if we do well in this category, it's going to result in more revenue or profits or, or whatever it might be, right? Um, so then people start to focus on that one stat. And then uh, you, you end up finding people trying to manipulate the stat or, or find a way to be successful and you end up not getting the end result you want. And then everyone kind of sits back and they're like, well, wait, why are we tracking this? The end goal was to be more profitable or, or more efficient. But uh, I, I think sometimes we used to call it like ghost gross, like a uh, ghost gross revenue because revenue would end up hitting one side of the, uh, the books, but not on the other. And it wouldn't flow through. And we're like, wait, why are we wasting our time trying to manipulate the stat to make someone happy when the end result is what we should be focusing on? It's funny you mention that because in a past life, I worked for one of the large, the big four banks, and one of them is still going through litigations for issues that I was well aware of when I worked there, right? Because in some focus group, they did some research, and they realized the more products somebody had with the bank, the more likely they were to stay a bank customer. And if the lifetime value of the customer was X, and you could do Y to to drive more product, then man, that would be very profitable in the end. But just like Sean said, what people ended up doing is they manipulated the system. They just started placing products unknowingly in a customer's bag. And then it just caused frustration for the customer. I didn't know I had this credit card. I didn't know I had this second or third checking account. And I don't want to say the heart of the matter was right. The intent of chasing this statistic was done on purpose Mm -hmm. but what they didn't understand is somebody naturally had those many products with you organically then yes they were a spouse to the bank and they were going to stay a long-term customer it does not apply if you just stuff a bunch of things in their shopping cart without them knowing then they're just upset and they're going to sue you that's probably the one of the best examples because they were compensating people to add these products, checking accounts, credit cards for mm-hmm. customers, right? And uh, so, like you always say, financial incentive drives behavior. So mm-hmm. they were thinking, okay, I'm going to be the best at this. And you know, it doesn't uh, add, you know, years of customer or people staying. 
when you have fake accounts and fake credit cards, yeah, it kind of blew up in their face. And it was so funny because, and this kind of proves our story, similar to our ham story, right? <laughs> I, I, I penned a letter. I've said this before on the podcast, so forgive me, but I penned a letter to the CEO on this topic because I was like, am I in crazy town? Because like, this seems obvious. Like at, at the ground level, I saw people coming all the time complaining and frustrated and pointing at a banker. Why did they do this? And I was like, why in the world are people doing this? And I felt like I was in the twilight zone working there. But oh. I think because there's so many layers of leadership and, and where things came down of why they did it, it, it was a game of telephone. And then people just started doing silly things. Were you seeing those same bankers like get praised for like hitting metrics and then also get like criticized? And you're like, wait, what's happening? <laughs> yeah, I was on the side of just not hitting any of the metrics. And then I remember a manager being like, hey, they need like a second checking out. I'm like, you know, I was like, Gavin, I was like, why? And I, I always filter things like this. If I was in the customer shoes, would I want it? And I'm like, no, it just like makes things confusing. And like people could get overdraft because they don't know what's in what account. And then he had convinced himself, right? Because he had to, this was an incentive. Yeah. He was the leader. He was like, no, they do one for, I don't even remember, like, like, for bills that are recurring. And then the other one is for like variable spending. And I was like, I don't even know what you just told me. And <laughs> I saw him, he got a pitch, right? So I saw him pitching this regularly. And then people that are impressionable were like, oh, okay. Yeah. But then I saw him like having, they come back and like, I got an overdraft because it was in this account, not that account. He's like, oh, I'll reverse that. And I was like, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen, like total front row seat. Oh my goodness. So <clears throat> in a past life as well, since we're going back in time, I was working for a startup. And so it was a startup actually for advisors, uh, technology for them. And so a big part of it is like client experience, engaging with a client, like meeting them on the phone, on their terms, like being very dynamic. So it's that whole intent, which is great. Um, but what would happen is the engineers would take that and would just over engineer the product and would have all these different, you can engage with us in, in the text and you can engage with us with a phone call in a video, in a zoom meeting. And it was, the intent was we want to be accessible in this like, platform, oh, like a flexibility thing, like a flexibility, right? So the advisor uses this, they want to be flexible. And the engineers would say, okay, well, let's be flexible. And they would list like six different ways that the clients could engage with the advisor carrier pigeon. And it, pretty yeah. much, it was insane, <laughs> you know, smoke rings. And it got to the point where it was over-engineered. They didn't understand the why that actually over-engineering the problem made the problem much worse. Now, I think our listeners get an idea of what we're talking about. And either of you can volunteer to speak first on this. But I gave two examples in the article, but maybe you guys have examples. Have you seen like a story or something, an account that you could give where somebody was doing something, but they were missing the original intent of why somebody would do it that way? Yeah, and I, it's kind of funny, and I don't even know if this is a really good example, but my oldest son plays baseball, and he watches a lot of MLB baseball players, and they put pine tar, like, uh, and for the real baseball players out there in the world, you're going to laugh at me, but I'm pretty sure they put it on wood bats because it makes it stickier so they can hold on to it, right? Well, youth baseball, they use these, um, you know, alloy or composite bats that already have grips on them, and they have batting gloves and all this stuff, so you probably don't need to spray stuff to make it stickier. But he is convinced that they hit bombs because of the pine tar, and he has to have the pine tar and put it on the bat so he can hit the ball further. And I'm trying to explain to him 
that I was like, no, I think it's because of this, and and he is convinced. And I guess this is a bad example because I don't know the exact why. I think but, the word pine might give it away. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> I, I kind of look at this as one of those examples like, oh, you're trying to look at it at, at the what or the end result, but you're not really understanding the purpose of it or why you would have it. No correlation between spraying that and getting home runs. I don't think so. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I used an example in the article. I tried to keep the examples very simple in the article because yeah. I wanted to relate it back to personal finance. And I just thought, hey, maybe somebody, we're going to make this person very simple. Maybe this person has one child, their child is 17 years old, and they're going to be heading off to college next year. And this person likes to be a good steward, prudent with their finances. So they go to the Googly machine and they say, hey, what is a a financially prudent way to pay for tuition? And they come across 529 plans and they're like, hey, all these good articles about how people will say in California, use 529 plans to pay for their kids' college. I'm going to do that. Sounds like a great idea. So they open a 529 account, they fund the account, and then the very next month, they're going to start sending distributions from there to the institution to pay for tuition. What they did is logical, right? They found a way financially to pay for tuition. They missed the why. Why does somebody use a 529 plan? Because there is a tax benefit that the growth in the account, if used for a qualified education expense, is not taxable. You're not going to have meaningful growth in the account if you make a deposit today and send money up for tuition tomorrow. So it's a very simple way of understanding what that person was doing makes sense, Mm -hmm. but they didn't know the why, and therefore they missed out on the benefit. Yeah. So I think of, there's two examples that come to mind. So one is a personal, and then another is a a family member. So uh, I like in the article you talked about just the busyness, like just wanting to do something. So I remember when I first got my CFP designation, I passed the boards. I am now certified to know all this knowledge and had all this knowledge that I really wanted to use. And so I would just go and find a nail with which to use my hammer. And so I was doing things or making recommendations just to do things because I had this knowledge and it was pushing me to make recommendations without understanding the why. Like, is this investment really helping the client? Is this tax maneuver really adding to the plan? I was just kind of doing action without thought. But um, the one that was a family example was 529 is a good one. Where I was talking with my brother, he's got three young boys and he's trying to figure out how to you know, get them set up in life. And the conversation obviously goes around 529 plans, but his talking was more like, I just want to help them get ready. And so I said, well, okay, well, the 529s are great for these benefits, but there's restrictions where you could really only use it for education. Jake, I know you, you went to college. Wasn't that great of an experience for you? You kids may or may not follow in your footsteps. Maybe some other options are better. Maybe we just do a custodial account because in my brother's perspective, he just wanted to have funds ready to help them with a home purchase or help them if they started a business. And so he wanted to support them in their growth and launching. But we really wanted to understand the why, because in that case, the 529, even though there are tax benefits, restricted him and took away from some of the why that he wanted. And it was actually not the solution for him. He wanted just a custodial account where money was in their name, ready to go for whatever opportunities came across their path. And that's pretty common as an advisor that somebody's going to come to you with a strategy, sometimes complex, and they link you to an article 
they describe it. And then sometimes you have to stop and say, okay, I'm going to learn all the nuance of what you sent me, right? Because I want to be helpful. But first, tell me why you want to do this. Yeah. And I think you gave a really good example because there are times where people want to save money for their kids and they say, yeah, I just want to be able to help them so they buy a house or a wedding or whatever it might be. And then you can kind of realize like, oh, well, wait, you shouldn't have done this. Or sometimes there's complex life insurance investment strategies or things. And, and I look at kind of the time frame and I'm like, I don't think this is going to do what, what you think it's going to do. You know, in three years, it won't have the cash value to borrow, maybe in 20 years. But at that point, it's not going to help the kids that are going to be adults. And and uh, it, like you said, it's important to know the why before you make that type of recommendation. And sometimes, like you say, the googling machine, it can come up with lots of ideas, and uh, it's hard to wrap your your head around it. Yeah, and sometimes I don't know if they call it like confirmation bias. I forget what, what the term is, but sometimes when you already know what you want to do, like a five twenty nine or a Roth or a Roth conversion, you can find a lot of encouraging articles, and and they're good articles, right? But if you don't know the answer to why you're doing something and it's an important thing, you should probably slow down. I'll end with a little bit of a funny story. And then if you guys have any add-ons, I'll kind of do it around the horn. But I'm not joking when I tell this story. I was trying to think of something that would like really hit home with what we're talking about today. So when I was a little boy, I got to go to Cobb Mountain, which uh, really unassuming little town um, in the mountains, Northern California in uh, Lake County. I get to see my grandmother. Um, all my cousins were there. So we'd like pick blackberries. It was uh, on this little tiny golf course. So my grandma would pay us like 10 cents a golf ball or something. We'd go down the creek and just, you can collect a lot of golf balls, right? A lot of bad golfers out there. <laughs> so, and it was really open. So my dad had like this huge plot of land. So he had one of those little Chevy love pickup trucks and, uh, he would take me and my brother and my sister and I would sit on his lap and he would let me drive. He wouldn't literally let me drive, right? He would let me control the steering wheel. Five years old. I'm not joking because I remember this epiphany. Every time I saw my dad driving, I was in the back seat. I just assumed the car drove itself. <laughs> and I assumed that like when he was holding onto the wheel, it was like there's music playing. It was like he was like dancing, right? Like, like a little bit of the left, a little bit of the right. I did not connect the dots that the wheel that he was controlling was directing where the car would go. Funny, silly, child's mind. So I got in the seat and he's like, all right, Trevor, you're going to drive. And he like hits accelerator and I just start dancing, right? I just start grabbing the wheel, hard as I can to the left, hard as I can to the right. And like I startled him and I startled myself and I was like, wait a tick. This thing <laughs> right here, this circle <laughs> controls the direction. I knew what to do. I knew you had to go left and right sometimes, but I didn't know why you were doing it. And for me, it was an example of like the ham story was funny and it was, it was essentially, it was kind of wasteful, right? Cutting off the ends of the ham when it's uh, not necessity. Um, my story was dangerous if I had control of the, the accelerator. What we see with clients, sometimes it can be funny, but sometimes it can be dangerous, right? It could be the wrong solution for what they're trying to achieve. It could be antithetical to their own financial plan. Mm -hmm. So what we're trying to encourage people with this article is understand the why because we understand that there's a anxiety to do the what, right? To get busy, to do something, to to have activity, to to do what your friend told you at, at Thanksgiving dinner, right? But there's an importance of understanding why are you doing this and does it align with your financial plan? Yeah, and it's helpful when you work with clients over time, because there's trust that's built. And then uh, you, 
I've noticed that people that do get that great idea at you know, Thanksgiving dinner from their cousin, or they read an article, and anytime they start to say, "Hey, I think this would be great," and they're they're kind of explaining, and it starts to seem like too good to be true. Uh, I the nice thing is that once you kind of bring that up, like, "Hey, this sounds great," but is it really gonna work the exact way you're thinking? You can almost kind of see it in their eyes that they're like, "Oh yeah, you know, like." This is maybe too good to be true. And once that trust is built, you guys can put together a plan on the why. Like, what, what are we trying to accomplish? How are we going to get there? And uh, it just makes it a lot easier. It, it is difficult when you're always trying to convince someone, you know, not, not to fall for, you know, the get-rich-quick scheme or, or the, you know, investment they heard about at the cocktail party or whatever it might be. And sometimes you could even ring-fence it for safety, right? Like my dad. Like, you can have control of the steering wheel but not the gas pedal, right? So you can say like, hey, if you want to do that, we can parse out you know, a piece of your financial plan that allows you to do kind of that Vegas bet that you want to do, mm-hmm. but let's not allow it to ruin everything else you worked so hard for. Yeah. Yeah, an example that comes to mind, uh, it's happened a few times actually with clients. When you're going through the financial plan, you're talking about performance and the portfolio and kind of where everything is at. You stress us the plan and it looks great, right? They've saved well, they live within their means and it's it's a solid plan it's working and then the years go by and the plan continues to get stronger and then the clients want to take on more risk they want to grow the portfolio more they want to add more interesting investments to the to the portfolio and what happens is you have to sit down with a client and say hey the what we have is working meeting your needs has a good risk adjusted return is is doing what you want it to do you're you're pushing me to to do more risk. And at this point, I don't know what that, what, what that buys you, you know, you haven't identified any needs that you're trying to go, but you want to do this thing because you want to get performance without understanding like, like why, like what is this risk buying that you don't already have with a financial plan? And so connecting the dots between, look, we have to grow the portfolio. There's investment disciplines we have to do, but don't get carried away. You don't have to always do the highest risk thing every time if it's not buying you something that you want to have right don't risk what you have to buy what you don't want yeah sean always says you've already won the race is that the right way Mm -hmm. you say it yeah so it's like you've got to adjust and understand how does this fit in with everything else so and I'll, i'll just leave you with my old boss's words right look for the why behind the what and sometimes that means you have to slow down something we don't always like to do so if uh, this article sparked questions, easy way to get a hold of Sean, James, not Andrew, James, uh, or Trevor would be to email Tom, T-O-M, at thebonsagroup.com. We'll ask that you rate the podcast, five stars are preferred. And we also want to just say thank you. Um, this is a time of year coming off of Thanksgiving uh, into the Christmas season that there's a lot of joy. And we appreciate the opportunity to do these podcasts, to write these articles, and that you listen to them. So thank you. Uh, and of course, we will be back next week with more of our Thoughts on Money. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future 
future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.